You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Smash from the Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Aaron Albano. And I'm Mo Brady. Welcome back, listeners, to our tongue-in-cheek recap of what is television's most detailed depiction of the theater industry. And yes, we're still talking about Smash, the NBC series that chronicled the creation of a Broadway musical and all of the drama that ensued along the way. We've been going back, episode by episode, to see how this supposed love letter to Broadway has held up over the past decade. In each podcast episode, we're looking to find the answers to these three questions. Did it represent Broadway then? Does it represent Broadway now? And is it any good? So let's (laughs) dive in and talk about episode four of season two, The Song. Aaron, give us the stats. If you insist, Mo. I do. The Song. (laughs) The Song premiered on February 26th, 2013. It was written by Bathsheba Doran and directed by Michael Morris, whose work we last saw in the season two premiere. The viewership was down a quarter million from last week, amounting to 3.04 million viewers tuning in on premiere night. We had five featured songs in this episode, with only one pop cover this week. Yay. (laughs) Show your cards, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) That cover was Billy Joel's Everybody Loves You Now, sung by Andy Mantis and Jennifer Hudson. The only other non-original song was I Got Love from the musical Pearly, featured both in its original arrangement and its more Derek Wills-esque risque arrangement. Lastly, we had three Shaman Whitman originals, I'm Not Lost, Chest of Broken Hearts, and the titular song itself, I Can't Let Go. And what happens in this episode, Mo? Veronica Moore has got love for her new one-night-only concert, but with a song list of her greatest hits, Derek is afraid the showcase is just another good-girl role for Broadway's sweetheart. As if by kismet, Kyle and Jimmy are looking to get noticed by trying out their material somewhere that counts. That place just happens to be Veronica's concert, where Derek challenges the duo to present him with a new song for her to debut. As the concert's music director, Tom tells Kyle and Jimmy that while their trunk songs are good, they aren't right for this concert. Kyle responds that they'll write something Ronnie and Derek, Broadway and them, in the next 24 hours, the same time it took Sondheim to write Send in the Clowns. But when Veronica's momager threatens to fire Derek for making the concert too adult, he succumbs and tells Kyle and Jimmy their services are no longer needed. One of the concert's backup dancers goes MIA as, and I quote, my boyfriend requested I no longer work with Derek. Ivy Lynn pinch hits. As it turns out, she was a swing when Veronica was Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. And more surprising than Ivy Lynn being a swing in Little Shop of Horrors is that Karen is okay with Ivy working on this concert with her. Julia feels hoodwinked when Peter the dramaturg invites her to his NYU class only to have his students critique her bombshell script. But after confronting him about his games, they end up day drinking on a weekday and cracking the code to fixing her bombshell script. Ivy ends up becoming Mother Hen to the concert, inspiring both Ronnie and Derek to listen to their guts when it comes to a more adult song list. And that final song list ends up including a new song by Jimmy and Kyle After All, a soaring ballad called I Can't Let Go. One last coda, 
Bombshell is freed from its legal troubles and okayed to move to Broadway, but under one condition. Eileen isn't allowed to produce anymore. Somehow that pesky Ellis still ruins everything. Grr, Ellis! Grr, Ellis! Oh my gosh. All right, listeners, uh, a little look into making the sausage. Aaron texted me he didn't like this episode, and I texted him back that I really did like this episode. So and we, I was shocked. Yeah, we're so excited to duke it out live on mm-hmm. mic. So, okay, Mo, convince me. Why did you like this episode? Okay, there are four main reasons that I liked this episode. One, there's an immediacy to the proceedings. There is a concert. It is happening soon. It is happening tomorrow or it's happening today, right? Like okay. so much of Bombshell sort of exists in this, like we're doing a workshop for something that doesn't have an audience and it's not even, we don't even really know where it's going. There's a thing. They have to put up a concert. Bravo is filming it. They need a song, right? There is an immediacy to the proceedings. Okay. Yes. Number two, we see Karen and Ivy having a multi-layered relationship. So much of them has been Karen and Ivy pitted against each other or then becoming fast friends and drinking and then being pitted against each other and then right this is like they have to work together we see them there's those great shots of them being the backup dancers and like dancing with each other in like scandalous poses which is fantastic there's just so it's so layered you're finally seeing kind of under the the surface level of these of the relationship between these two women don't interrupt me, Aaron Albano. Okay, fine. I can go. <laughs> Number three, Julia finally stops playing the victim. Julia has been playing the victim since season one, episode one, right? Poor her. She's, she's, yes. no one yes. wants to write her. No one wants to produce her musical. She just wants to make a musical about Marilyn. She just wants to be a good wife. She just wants to fuck Michael Swift, right? Like, she just wants to yes. be a good yes. mom, right? And so finally, she says, I know how to fix this script. And that feels good as a viewer to be like, yes, finally, yes, I can root good. for you, Julia. Thank you. Number four, Jennifer Hudson sings I Got Love from yes, Pearly. Yes, she does. Okay, this is Jennifer Hudson mm-hmm. who sings the phone book as if it is the Bible, and she's <laughs> singing one of the most joyous songs in the musical theater canon effortlessly. Yes, she does. She absolutely does. I will get on board with you for that. For those four reasons, I say, yes, good episode, Smash. (laughs) Okay. I hated this. I didn't hate this. This That's rude. I did not hate this episode. This episode was not one of my favorites, mainly because I don't care about any of this. I literally was like, this entire episode revolves around a concert And then the entire, like, main story plot revolves around Veronica Moore getting cold feet about doing what she said she wanted to do in the last episode. I'm like, if we're going to have everybody yelling and screaming about, like, does Veronica Moore do what she has always done or does she take a risk? I'm sorry. Let's rewind to the last episode where she literally said she wanted a career-changing concert. Secondly... I love Jeremy Jordan so much. I hate Jimmy Collins with a fierce rage. I remember watching this originally, and maybe it was because I was more immediately like 
Jeremy's my friend. I love watching him on the show. He left the show for this. Whatever, whatever, whatever. That, like, my disdain for Jimmy was tempered a little bit. This episode, I would throw him off a bridge. Like, and not bat an eye because, whoa. And then... Eileen's legal troubles. It was an entire like storyline and I'm just like, I, I, okay, great. And then to wrap it all up, they might as well have given Jerry this maniacal laugh at the end of the episode. I was like, so he's now our supervillain, And then he's writing a check to Ellis. That's when I'm like, okay, what are we doing here? I don't know what we're doing here. You're right, Jennifer Hudson can sing whatever she wants and I will be happy, but that is not enough for me. Okay, I'm going to admit, I'm going to give you some points back. Good. Because I think I had said yes to this concert before the coda, right? It's not the (laughs) best turn at the end, sure. No. Also, I will give you, in the same way that the end of season one ended up becoming wrapped up in Uma Thurman, there is a feeling of like, why are we spending so much time on somebody that I wasn't sure I was really supposed to care about, which is Veronica Uh Moore. Here's a question, because... There have been many, many concerts on Broadway. We've seen them come around. A theater is empty between long-running hits and a star of varying levels can come in for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And while sometimes those are pop stars that are having an opportunity to uh, showcase in a smaller venue than like Madison Square Garden, this feels Mm -hmm. more in line with like Liza with a Z, Liza at the Mm -hmm. Palace, or more contemporary versions of that, like Christian Chenoweth's For the Girls or Harry Connick Jr.'s concert that was also at the Nederlander this fall, right? Someone someone who is a theater person having a chance to do basically a big-ass cabaret. Yeah. And so it's I think it's safe to say that like this is Veronica Morris and I'm and I'm all about that. In the last episode, she says, what does she say? She says, "I want to do a one night only show, the kind of concert that people talk about years from now and kick themselves for missing." From that quote, it sounds like she wants something to really stir things up and really change her image in the business. We find out about the concert last episode because she quit The Wiz to do this concert. She has left the role of Dorothy to do this one-night-only concert to change how she is seen in the business. That was my central issue with the episode, is that they, both Tom and Cynthia, keep coming for Derek. That they're like, do what the people want. You need to do what she's comfortable with. Why wasn't Derek's first answer being like, She asked me for this. In hindsight, it is obvious that they're trying to set up Tom as a potential director for Bombshell. And so they're trying to give him opportunities to lead, to have vision, right? Okay. Okay. I could buy that. He's trying to follow Veronica's lead, right? Veronica said she wanted to do the thing, and then she decided she didn't want to do the thing. And so he's trying to I don't think Tom and Cynthia are aware of Derek's conversation with Veronica. And so... To me, watching the episode, watching last episode, Derek and Ronnie are operating under an idea that they want this concert to change Veronica Moore's image on Broadway. Cynthia and Tom are not privy to that conversation, so they think this is more of the same. Mm -hmm. I feel like the only person who's privy to all of it is Ivy, who's 
in her conversation with Derek at the end is like, she wants to change. She's just scared. You need to help her and direct her instead of just forcing this upon her. God. Proving yet again that the team of Ivy and Derek is actually quite strong. The relationship of Ivy and Derek is not. The team of Ivy and Derek is great. Great. I loved the scene of Peter and Julia in the NYU class where Peter has changed the... Okay, all right. See, it wasn't all bad, Aaron Albano. It wasn't Um, all bad. I just thought it was such a good way for us to look at the script. I felt like finally Smash wants to look into the quality of the story of Marilyn Monroe. And this was such a fun way to do it because, A, it was fun to sort of be... To know something the characters didn't. But B... I also thought it was a really smart move on Peter's part. I thought it was genius. I thought it was a wonderful tactic because clearly what he's saying is not getting through to her. And so this was just another way to illustrate his points about her script that she is so resistant to fixing that I'm just like, yo, listen to what's being said to you. But when she says on the street, when she's finally in her like most vulnerable place, she says... I want Bombshell to be great. I just wish I knew what was wrong. I'm like, yo, we've had two episodes of this man, this beautiful, beautiful man, telling you what's wrong with the show. Now you're finally in the place to see it and hear it. Why did it take this long? And why did it take this person? I mean, I guess I guess that Peter is knowledgeable and he can he knows how to make scripts better, right? He says that. He's a bad playwright, but he knows how to help other it's a great moment especially when they're discussing their show when she has the epiphany is such a satisfying moment as a viewer Mm -hmm. because it's that light bulb moment that all of us love when we like have a breakthrough Mm -hmm. and i think that's the most relatable thing what was weird about it is then i couldn't really follow how she was gonna fix the show it was she discovered that she was telling the story through how Men see Marilyn, right? Yes. But I thought that the natural conclusion was that she was going to then write the story from Marilyn's point of view, right? Me too. (laughs) But then she decides to double down on the opposite of that, which is make every moment in the show about Marilyn through the lens. (laughs) From the man's perspective. And I was like, wait, what? What? Wait, at least she's looking at the script. I don't know. You're right. There was a very, there was, there's that very satisfying moment where she's grabbing books off the shelf and then she's handing Mm -hmm. them to Peter and you're like, y'all are going to fuck, right? That's the whole point of this thing. Yes. But I do think, and, and to your credit, the moment that makes her journey good is the fact that she becomes open to her, the criticism. She is able to break down her guard, break down all of her insecurities and actually listen to make her show better. Let's finally talk about Jimmy and Kyle. We've been putting Jimmy and Kyle on the back burner for this entire season so far. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's time. We talked about him a little bit last week, but let's really, we're seeing Jimmy and Kyle today. Right. So Kyle's the book writer? Is that his job? In my mind, I thought that Kyle was the lyricist, but then I thought it. He, I thought it was a similar relationship to Tom and Julia. Yeah, that he was book writer slash lyricist. Nah, Jimmy writes all the music. Kyle writes the book, 
to the musical that he can't describe because there's Jimmy all these other characters all. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, and we don't have a second act yet. What's your job? <laughs> What's your job here? <laughs> like, yeah, that's where I was just like, sorry, Kyle, Jimmy's kind of right. You don't do anything. At least we've seen yet. <laughs> yeah, we don't. He doesn't do anything. And then I think on top of that sort of trope of the twink pining over the straight man who will never love him is just like, yeah. Ugh, that is not the character that I'm going to get invested in. Which, to be fair, would we have been more invested in it? Back in 2013, just like I feel more like it was, gay representation. I feel like it was it was a world where that would have been more acceptable as an archetype we see ourselves in. Yeah, why is he here? I just don't know yet. I feel like their living relationship translates into their work relationship, and their work relationship is garbage. Yeah, their work he- relationship is not good because it's Kyle managing this very volatile artist. Where did they meet? Did they go to school together? What is their collaboration? Have they written anything else together? Like, there's so much about them that we don't know that it makes it really hard to invest. Well, and I think that what's difficult is also not even their relationship with each other, but basically, without sounding weird, the show's relationship to them. It's a lot of, especially at the beginning of this episode, was a lot of lectures from Kyle to Jimmy about how this takes hard work, about how you don't, there are no shortcuts to Broadway. But then despite all of those quote unquote truths that we're hearing, we're watching all of it happen in a shortcut streamlined sort of way, which generally would be a good journey to watch because you want to see the outlier. But then you watch Jimmy think he deserves it. He thinks he is entitled to these shortcuts shown in his scene with Derek, where Derek is at the 11th hour of this other project that Jimmy wasn't even invited to really. And then Jimmy's like, you're not even going to hear the song. We deserve time. And Derek's like, you don't deserve anything. I barely know you. Calm down. Back up. Well, I thought that moment was particularly interesting, right? The full line was, no one deserves anything in this business. You wait your turn and you earn it. I agree with half of that statement. Okay. No one deserves anything in this business. Totally. Yes. Exactly. Yep. I, we, mm-hmm. you, we deserve to have the song listened to? No. You don't deserve anything in the business. However, I also don't agree that you wait your turn and you earn it. Sometimes people just get to the top. They get to the top on their own journey at their own speed, and their journey is not your journey, right? Yes, agreed. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Sometimes you are a fresh-faced boy from California, and you make your Broadway debut in Bombay Dreams. Yes. No, Jimmy does not deserve anything, especially not being nice. But also, (laughs) this business is not about waiting your turn. This business is about being in the right place at the right time and showing up being ultra prepared for opportunities. Yes. I guess here's where the character of Jimmy turns me off when I feel like I should be rooting for him. Is that when he gets in the person who's giving him the opportunity's face... How is that not a game over moment? Even if Tom Levitt comes back being like, yo, he's the real deal. Why isn't Derek like, yo, but he tried to hit me. (laughs) Done. Like, and so where does the push yourself forward end and the allow fortune to smile on you begin? 
Yeah, he's just not very nice. No, he's garbage. The only th- time we've ever seen him be nice is when he was high mm-hmm. in the... Yeah. Otherwise, he's a monster. Yeah. Maybe we'll fall in love with him later. I'm hoping, because I don't remember hating Jimmy. But I do currently. Love Jeremy Jordan. Hate Jimmy Collins. Mm-hmm. To keep up to date with next week's recap, be sure to watch Season 2, Episode 5 of Smash, entitled The Read-Through. You can find Smash episodes on either the NBC app or on NBC.com. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. And by me, Aaron Albano. There are two great ways you can be helping The Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And two is by becoming a Patreon member. You can do that at patreon.com slash theensemblist. Follow The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or at Broadway Podcast Network's home, bpn.fm. You can even find our own page. Oh yeah, we have our own page at bpn.fm. You're a real boy, Aaron. And be sure to follow The Ensemblist on Instagram because things are changing all the time. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.